Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. Rubicon. Thirteen episodes of The Condor. Listener request. Listener request. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less. My name is Wynn Bibiani. I'm a film critic for Crave Online, Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Typhoid Mary. Uh, and I, I'm sure all of our listeners just cleared their own throats. Yeah. Um, my when, name is Whitney Seibold. Mm-hmm. I'm a little under the weather, as, yeah. you, can, as you can likely hear. There is, a, there is uh, a horrible disease plowing its way through all of the film critics in Los Angeles. And of course, it's during the one week we all get off. Yeah, pretty much. Films come out every time of the year, but like in, in Hollywood, they like kind of like try to cram all the screenings in by like early December so that all the publicists mm-hmm. can take the end of December off. So all the critics usually get the last week of December off, and you got sick. I got sick. That That's, sucks. Yeah. I got yes. sick on my honeymoon. I got no reason to complain. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm also a film critic of some stripe. I contribute to various sources around the internet. And uh, we come from the B-Movies podcast. From Whence We Hail. Yes, from Whence We Hail. Uh, and uh, this week on the Cancel Too Soon podcast, uh, we are, <laughs> you, almost, you almost said the other one, didn't I you? I almost did! Um, this week on Cancel Too Soon, uh, oh. we have a really cool... Uh, series. This is actually one I've been wanting to get to uh, mm-hmm. for a while. It's a series I wanted to watch when it was on TV, but I don't think I had cable at the time. So yeah, yeah. I said, oh, I'll watch it when it comes out on DVD, and then it wasn't popular enough to come out on DVD, and here we are. Uh, and <laughs> more than that... Th- thanks to a resourceful listener of ours. Yes. So we, uh, 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 we at the towards the end of the, uh, last year, we had a sweepstakes, our first Cancel Too Soon sweepstakes, and we will have more, uh, in which we... Uh, we asked people we were, to send in a, a way to send off the podcast, we, the last we were, thing to say on the podcast. We were fishing, fishing for a benediction. We didn't really have one, so uh, we yeah. put it out to you, our dear listeners, and a fellow named Brandon Dwyer uh, had the winning entry. Yes, Brandon Dwyer, uh, oh. and he actually, there was a couple people who had the winning entry. Uh, he had mm. a slightly different version, and he had it first. He, he, uh, he, he beat everyone else to the punch. So and uh, I can't say what it is, because that would end the podcast, and we really want to talk about this <laughs> show. But his prize was he got to pick the next show we would do on Cancel Too Soon, uh, and it is AMC's Rubicon. Mm-hmm. This is a show that AMC put out uh, in 2010. It airs from June 13th to October 17th. This was a heavily promoted show. This was going to be the next Mad Men. This was right on the, the heels of Mad Men. This was like the yeah. follow-up. The, the well, network's follow-up to Mad Men. Not for a, a couple of years, but like AMC hadn't quite got its act together in coming up with more great content. Walking Dead was around, uh, was, was still kind of mm. in its infancy, that kind of... Uh, actually, when did Walking Dead premiere? And I think Walking Dead, we had some time. I, yeah, yeah, I forgot about Walking yeah. Dead. But... Walking Dead was the show that was just I, like, oh, AMC's not a one-trick pony. Oh, and Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was also really? on there. So uh, Breaking Bad was already in existence. In do you, do you watch Walking Dead? I did until it started to suck, and then I stopped. <laughs> and then a lot of people stuck around, and I hear it got better again, and then apparently it started to suck some more, and then they left. Um, that's me. I don't know. I thought it was cool for the first season. 
second season was really pushing mm. its luck, and then I quit like around the end of season three. Mm. I was like, you know what, I'm uh, done. I'm looking it up online. Uh, Walking Dead premiered after uh, Rubicon. Rubicon went off okay. the air. There you go. So they they were Mad Men. They were Breaking Bad. These were mature adult shows, and Rubicon Ooh, in was... In fact, Rubicon yeah. was canceled on the 17th of October, and Walking Dead premiered on Halloween. Oh. So it essentially took Rubicon's place. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rubicon was going to be a very mature a sort of espionage spy thriller. It is the story of a group of people who work at a, uh, it's at, an a, a, a think tank. It's it's like it's an intelligence agency, but you know, not like action packed CTU type. Yeah, super it's, spies. It's not about the agents it's, in the field. It's about the researchers who are responsible for taking little pieces of information and then extrapolating them and applying that information to other little pieces of information mm. we know and coming up with what it turns out to be incredibly important pieces yeah. of intelligence that end up driving uh, economies, governments, predicting terrorist attacks. Yeah, are, it's a cool idea they're, for a show. They're analysts. They're yeah. an, uh, it's, it's about the nerds behind Jack Bauer. Uh, pretty much. It, yeah. It's it's a show of Chloe's, if you watch 24. Yeah. Um, you know, like in 24, how every season there was a mole? This is only the people who might be the mole. <laughs> Although that never actually really well, kind of comes uh, up. Well, we'll talk the, about the, it a the, bit. There's an episode about that, but it was, turns out it was a smokescreen. Um, yeah, that's a fun episode though. Uh, James Badgedale is the lead character. He plays a character named Will. Will Travers. Uh, I keep I keep wanting to call him Will Turner, but I know that's the character from the Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, James Badgedale. Uh, you know him from Iron Man three. He was mm. briefly on Twenty Four. He was on the Pacific, and he was on a Cancel Too Soon series. You might get to at some point in the future. Uh, the Black Donnellys. Uh, he's a handsome guy, a pretty yeah. intense actor. Uh, this was sort of his moment to shine. It's kind of a, it's a big breakout uh, a, role. A, a pity that this didn't do more for him. I he's think really he's, good in this show. I'm going to say that right well, now. He's, he's pretty good in general. What I, I like think, about uh, him is that he, he deserves more credit for what he did, A, on this show and elsewhere. Well, yeah, there was this period where it seemed like James, ba- James Badgedale was really going to break out, mm-hmm. and then he just never had that one big role. He was in. Well, this he was, was it. Well, you know what I mean, but like that big role that really made it happen, mm-hmm. you know, even though this he's really, really excellent on this. This isn't a very showy role. This is about an introverted nerd mm. uh, with wild hair and bad posture <laughs> who gets involved in, yeah. you know, conspiracy shenanigans. But, like, he was also, uh, he was in The Lone Ranger, he was in Iron Man 3, he was in, like, a bunch of, like, kind of badass roles. Like, he was mm. playing, like, the, the assassin who tries to kill somebody and in, like, a, a lot of different movies. He was a tough guy on 24 as well. Um, yes. Yeah, it was. So, uh, uh, so the, the the show started up as uh, sort of inspired by, uh, as they said rather openly in all the press releases, uh, it was inspired by Three Days of the Condor and the Parallax View. Those like seventies espionage thrillers that yeah. were kind of slow burn and have now become kind of trite in the modern day. But uh, at, Three Days of the Condor still works really really well. The, I mean, they still hold up if you go back, but you know the newer thrillers don't quite hold especially post cold war the idea uh, of the cold the idea of the cold war thriller was for a long time in two camps you had the really broad uh james bond uh mm-hmm. in like flint kind of super spy fantasy of the cold war but then you had especially in the 70s these really mature mm-hmm. very cynical uh very political like there were serious movies that happened to have mainstream appeal 
that were spy thrillers, but they were a lot more muted. They're a lot more casual, mm-hmm. a lot more about character. And this is where you get stuff like, um, and there's a lot of shout outs on the show to Three Days of the Condor. There's some obvious shout outs uh, to The Conversation, a brilliant Francis yeah, Ford really. Coppola movie starring uh, Gene Hackman as a um, as a wiretapper. If you haven't seen it, stop the podcast, yeah. watch The Conversation, come back. Especially The Conversation. <laughs> Holy crap, The Conversation is great. Um and, uh, and Three Days of the Condor, if you haven't seen it, stars Robert Redford uh, as an analyst, a, uh, a CIA, mm. FBI analyst. I'm trying to remember what agency he's in. CIA. CIA. Uh, at a secret think tank. Mm. He goes out to lunch, and he comes back, and, and every, everyone's dead. Everyone's dead. And uh, and he everyone thinks he did it. He's he's completely out in the cold. Faye Dunaway's in it. Max von so plays the shadowy character. Yeah, it's oh, a really, really great movie. We showed that at the New Beverly recently, it's actually. Yeah. It, it holds up real, real well. Um, um, so, But you're right. So the, basically, what happened with the show well, is... Well, but... Uh, yeah. I, was, I was gonna say, yeah. that was the original pitch, and that's how the pilot worked out. But then the original showrunner was fired after the pilot, and they replaced him with a different guy, and it becomes kind of a different show almost immediately. Yeah, for but it's tricky, though, because even though they're obviously trying to make it into a different show, uh, they still have to deal with all that plot. Mm-hmm. So Rubicon starts off as a pretty straightforward, good, mm-hmm. but pretty straightforward spy thriller storyline uh, about a CAA, or sorry, uh, independent think tank analyst whose boss is killed under suspicious circumstances, um, and he starts investigating what could be a very massive Mm. conspiracy, uh, and that was the plot. And then, especially from episode two onward, it becomes more of an ensemble drama about the people who work Mm. at this think tank, but at the same time, they just threw that espionage ball in the air, and they have to keep it there. They can't drop it. <laughs> so they're always so basically, whenever he's at work, uh, it's one show, and whenever he's outside of work, it's like he's in a completely different series. It's uh, well, there there are a few scenes throughout where like somebody charges up a hallway and like holds out a piece of paper and says, "Hey, look, we found him." But that happens like once every third episode, and right, you, which is you, probably accurate to the job. There's probably a lot of drudgery involved. Uh, and I appreciate that and had the show kind of focused on sort of the drudgery as sort of the theme of the show, it would have been a little bit, uh, had a little bit more focus, but instead it's just sort of people going about their day mm-hmm. and, uh, they're trying to treat their interpersonal dramas as like really serious drama. Yeah. And it's not about the drudgery. It's about their interpersonal drama and it's about their relationships and it's about their addictions and habits and mm. backstories. And that is so not interesting to me. Uh, it's um, interesting as, as sort of like <clears throat> noise in the background to me, but when you make it the focus, yeah. especially considering how little we know about most of these it's people like, with the exception of Will mm-hmm. and uh, his secretary uh, or, or personal assistant or kind of like Maggie, mm-hmm. Uh, and like some of his bosses who end up may- being kind of involved in this conspiracy, like all of the other like peons, the echelon guys, mm-hmm. we never see them outside the office. Like no, even even no, no, like but... they, they're always at the office or like just outside mm-hmm. the office. We never see them with their wives or their kids mm-hmm. or, or we never see the one who ends up having like an alcohol and drug problem out doing alcohol drug things. <laughs> it's always at the office. And it's an odd focus, and it really does feel like they were trying to rejigger it from what they well, had. What it was, essentially, is uh, the A plot and the B plot were switched. Mm-hmm. The A plot was supposed to be the, the spy stuff, and the B plot is, I'm an alcoholic, and we deal with that in that one episode. But yeah. instead, that's the focus of the show, and the B plot is this conspiracy with the four-leaf clovers. You know, usually that's, uh, a, that's the sort of thing like, that happens. Yeah, one second. Usually that's the sort of thing that happens as the show goes on. 
like mm. something just like a supporting character becomes more important and then like halfway yeah, then through season just... one they've started taking up more screen time here second episode really <laughs> really weird the show was created originally I just want to get mm. the practical information out of the way the show was created originally by a writer named uh, Josh Horwitz uh, he uh, created another television series that only lasted one season it was a show about a, a series of medical investigations it was called Medical Investigation <laughs> Perhaps the most bland title I've ever heard. Sounds like something from Friends. You Doesn't know, it? Like, like Joey would be in medical investigation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Investigating medicals. Like, um, But he's he's doing okay. Uh, he's actually currently, uh, he recently wrote a couple episodes of Luke Cage, the Netflix series, which is a great mm. series. Right. Uh, so that's really, really cool. Uh, and then it was taken over by a uh, seasoned vet, uh, Henry Brommel. Uh, who sadly died a couple of years ago. Yeah, but he he worked on everything. Oh, and a lot. you probably watched a lot of it. Uh, so. like he was uh, really integral to Homeland. He worked on Homicide Life on the Street. Um, he he had his fingers in a lot of pies, mm-hmm. and he made a lot of well written pies. Uh, th- this is one of his less well written pies. Um, <laughs> could, can I read a statement from our uh, yes, our, our, uh, from Brandon? Our yeah, requester. we asked Brandon to uh, send us a brief statement about why he chose Rubicon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we'll also hear back from him at the end when we talk about where Rubicon would have gone, yeah. possibly, had it continued. So I uh, think uh, the way Brandon. Uh, Brandon says, when Rubicon aired, critics loved it and audiences didn't care. By any standard, it is a grueling show to watch. <laughs> Each week was a testament to my TV watching fortitude until it hit its stride. Six years later, the show still holds a place in my top ten TV shows of all time. Huh. The worst part about loving this show is that I can't share it with anyone. I can't, quote, send you a link or let you borrow a DVD. If anyone from the production company is listening, please release it on DVD or allow it to be streamed online. Please take my money. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's uh, that's the start of Rubicon. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Rubicon, uh, again, it starts off pretty straightforward. Uh, the pilot episode the, uh, is not called pilot episode for a change, the, uh, I appreciate. The pilot starts out with... The like, pilot the big, episode the is called inciting. Gone in the Teeth. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Probably uh, references uh, some line of dialogue. Yeah, or some classical... Like the, Well, first of all, the title of the show isn't really explained until late in the show. Uh, the title Rubicon alludes to the Rubicon River, that uh, the Caesar crossed in order to essentially take over Rome and turn it from the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire. It was essentially a tale of military conquest mm-hmm. within the context of the show, uh, which I guess is kind of what the characters are doing a little bit. Uh, but that story of any sort of military action doesn't come into play until later in the series. So I'm not exactly sure what the title is supposed to be alluding to from the outset, if they meant to be alluding to the Rubicon River or what. It could, uh, it could be anything. It could be anything. <laughs> it could have called this, with, with all the imagery uh, going around, it could have called it Four Leaf Clover, for all yeah. we knew. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is another like spy story, and it just alludes to stuff. Well, they, you know, like there's that's it, a metaphor, that allu- but like it alludes to a, a children's rhyme that's popular in England, but not in America. But it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with spying until you know the context. Well, well, yeah, you see what true. I mean? Like it has, mm. well, it has word "spy" in the title. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> why is that a spy thing? Well, mm. you'll read the book or see the mm. complicated movie, <laughs> and you still won't understand. Oh, um, I love that movie. You shut up. No, I, I, I got to interview the 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 screenwriter of that movie, and I, my first question was, "What the hell is this movie about?" <laughs> and his, his answer was, "You tell me. I don't know." <laughs> Uh, Makes sense. But uh, the inc- the inciting incident of Rubicon is a suicide uh, 
I think his name is the actor's name is Harris Yulin. Yulin. Uh, Yulin. Harris uh, Yulin. Do you know uh, Harris Yulin? Prolific uh, character actor. You know yeah, he was in Scarface, anything. Training Day. He was on Twenty Four, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Multiplicity. He was the judge in Ghostbusters Two. That's right. Uh, and of course, he was on As the World Turns because all the best people were. <laughs> That, is that your go-to as the world? So turns? the show begins with uh, Harris Yulin's uh, wife, played by uh, Miranda Richardson. Miranda Richardson, who you know oh, from everything. Of, she's kind of the get of the show. Yeah, like she's, she's that she's one the big, big star. The big star. Miranda Richardson, you know her from Sleepy Hollow, uh, the TV miniseries Merlin, The Crying Game, Blackadder. Mm. Um, her husband. She's so good in Blackadder. So fucking oh, great. Her husband, Harris Yulin, mm. uh, like basically like sees a four leaf clover. There's like a secret message, mm. and he kills himself, and that's what sets it all off. Uh, and then the next day at this government think tank, we meet Will Travers. API is the name of the, the yes. agency. We meet Will Travers. Uh, we meet his boss, David, played by Peter Garrity from uh, The Wire, Homicide Life on the mm. Streets, and the Maria Bello version of Prime Suspect, which, which we will get, get to, to and cancel yeah. too soon once we can track <laughs> that one down. Um, <coughs> and he, he runs this think tank, and together they sort of, or, or Will discovers a code mm. hidden in crossword puzzles in all of the major newspaper publications. There's like one really specific, weirdly complicated mm. uh, uh, clue. And the implication is that that's a code. Someone's supposed to interpret that. He brings it to his boss. His boss brings it uh, to his boss, Kale, uh, played by the great oh, Arliss, Arliss Howard. Howard. Arliss Howard, you know, from True Blood. Uh, he mm. played the adult version of the protagonist at the end of The Sandlot. Uh, <laughs> he was in Full Metal Jacket. He was in Moneyball. Yeah. He's a great actor. Um uh, and married married to Deborah Winger. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Kale brings it to his boss Spangler, uh, who is played by that guy from Die Hard with a Vengeance, who keeps chewing on his glasses and is only in one scene. Oh yeah, that's remember the guy. that guy? Yeah, that still trying to butch up by chewing on your glasses. He does the glasses thing in the pilot episode. That's oh, how that's I recognize right. him. I was like, what? But uh, he's actually that's, played. That's, that's his. That's his move. That's, that's his one, weird one actorly move. That's all he's got. Uh, but uh, Spangler is played by Michael Christopher. Uh, he's also a screenwriter. He wrote the Riches of East, the Witches of Eastwick. Oh, no kidding. And uh, the excellent HBO movie uh, Gia, starring Angelina Jolie. Oh, it was like her it breakout ex- role. Call it excellent. That's a good movie. Right. What are you talking about? It's not a good movie, but okay. You, you shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut your dumb mouth. I won't. No I'm matter sorry, how. I'm sorry, no matter how Gia bashing. However raspy I am, I will not shut my mouth. God, you have no taste. Uh, in any case, uh, he, <laughs> wrote, he wrote those taste. things. Thank you. Anyway, uh, Spangler goes to his cabal of white, old, rich guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, uh, David, Will's boss, uh, gives Will a few unusual uh, sort of trinkets. Mm. He gives them a, a book of like a travel book, I think it was. Was it a travel book or was it like a I, motorcycle? It was a motorcycle I, like maintenance book. Oh, and right, he also right, gives right, him right. his his Norton. I think it's a Norton Commando, uh, which is a great bike. That's a really good gift mm. to get. And he just says, "Well, you 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 shouldn't be doing this job. You're too good for it. Your wife and child died in 911, <laughs> which." That's heavy. And uh, he mm. says, get out now while you still can. And then the next day, David dies in a giant train accident. A mis- very mysterious train accident. Well, at like, first, it's like just du- like... Like double indemnity level. Um, it's, well, it's such an unusually big way to kill somebody mm. that you think it's going to end up being maybe a little bit bigger than, than what's... When we find out like more about what's actually at stake in the conspiracy mm. and who's involved, it's a little huge. Everything it's, else they do is really on the it, slide. It's kind of high profile for what they were trying to do. And um, I would think that maybe they were going to do the train thing anyway, but it, they would never really get into that. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, but anyway, he uh, 
Will gets promoted. He gets a job that he wasn't looking for, and he's now head of his sort of division. His division. Yeah. Uh, passing over one of his coworkers. Uh, uh, what's his name? Grant Ra- Test. Grant. Um, yeah, Grant, who is played by the late, <coughs> the late Christopher Evan Welch, uh, who was on Silicon Valley. He was also in The Master. Oh, okay. He died a couple uh, years ago and, as well. That's uh, Grant is uh, has a home life that's a little bit rocky. Yeah, he's got a he's uh, got a wife who's very uh, stressed out about mm. the kids and the bills, and he's got so, a job that he loves and it's really really important, but it doesn't pay that great. And also, he can't tell her about it. So yeah, everyone's when, sworn when, to secrecy. About whenever this. he's whenever he's at the office, he can't tell his wife what's going on. So he's mm. he lives a very strained home life. The other people uh, in his, his division yeah. mm-hmm. uh, are there's Miles, played by Dallas Roberts, or as I like to call him, the American Chris O'Dowd. Uh, <laughs> doesn't he look like Chris O'Dowd? It's crazy. He's the Chloe of the show, and that he's sort of like the nerdy, awkward one. Yeah, uh, he's also having trouble at home. He's in almost divorced from his wife, but not quite. Yeah, he hasn't told anyone about it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's actually had a pretty successful career since then. Uh, he's had regular roles on The Good Wife, uh, Unforgettable, and mm-hmm. The Walking Dead. And before that, he before this, he was even on uh, The L Word okay. for like an extended period. So he's doing okay. Uh, and then we have uh, the other member of their team, Tanya, uh, played by Lauren. Hodges, who really hasn't broken out. She's really good on the show. Um, the other thing she was in, which is another one-season wonder called uh, My Guide to Becoming a Rockstar. Uh, <laughs> okay. If we can find that, maybe we'll cover it at some point in the future. She's a, a young woman, and her big drama is that she's an addict. Yes. That's it. Uh, they'll, they'll yes. Just, and, and it's just the deal with the stress of it. It's mm. not like they're going off some uh, uh, crazy, you know, after school special thing about it. Like everyone, mm. when people find out about it, they're like, well, that happens. Mm. Um, and but then we, we don't, we don't really see the consequences of her addiction no. other than like being a little twitchy in a bathroom here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but she never shows up like completely hungover. She sneaks bottles of vodka here and there. Well, it's actually a while, but it doesn't we, seem to be affecting her work in the least. It's a while before we see, uh, exactly what's up with her. We see her going to work mm. groggy, maybe taking some pills, but they're really vague about it. In fact, in the pilot episode, Will says something to the effect of second day. Mm. And I'm like, of what? Sobriety? Uh-huh. Being drunk? Chemo? There's a lot of things that could be going on here. Mm-hmm. I thought they were building it up that we're supposed to think she's an alcoholic and that maybe there'd be some sort of reveal. And no, she's alcoholic. A little just bit no, of drugs. Just an alcoholic. Yeah, did some drugs as a well. A little, little cocaine. Yeah, and, it's uh, a little anticlimactic. Uh, yeah, later on in the series, the big drama will come to a head when she's busted. And yes. that's it. And, and it turns and it, out... And it, takes and, it, like, and it takes like eight episodes to get there. It takes eight episodes to get there, <laughs> and it turns out uh, that uh, this happens a lot to people in incredibly high-stress yeah. jobs. And even like people who normally would be like, you know, well, you didn't like jeopardize our security or anything, so we're going to put you in rehab, and we're going to like demote you for a while. Uh-huh. You know, just sort of like a punishment for this, and we're going to keep an eye on you. And it's actually like, that's very... Polite and reasonable. It's a little. It's a little undramatic. Yeah, honestly, yeah, it's, about, it's so polite and reasonable that nothing comes of it. It's like you're, yet, you're waiting for all of this to come to light, and when it finally does, it's not a big deal. And yet, one of the things I like most about this show is when it takes all of these uh, uh, incidents and ideas and big mm. behind-the-scenes, uh, super important meetings, and it makes them really banal. There's this one episode uh, shortly on after Will accepts the the job uh, where he and Spangler, who for at least for like the first half is a sort of kind of mysterious, like if you really know him really, really well, you can laugh and joke with him. But everyone else has this very rarefied experience Mm -hmm. with this. He sounds like Bernie Sanders, by the way. (laughs) It's really weird. It's like he just talks like this. 
you know, that tie. He has this great speech in this episode about like that tie. Oh, you, it's, it's, you leave, it's, it's, a, it's an overwritten speech. It's an speech, overwritten speech, but it works. It works. Right. And he's talking about how, you know, about how their company is objective. Whereas everyone at your own company wants to keep their job. Mm-hmm. So they'll tell you what you want to hear. We'll tell you what's true. I'll tell you if that tie is ugly, your wife won't. That That's this good little bit that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, for a long time, he's seen in this sort of mysterious, vaguely threatening uh, uh, aspect. And then Will has to go on a business trip with him, and it's kind of dull. Yeah. And there's something kind of charming about them just waiting oh. for the bus or the subway. I, I think you know? it, this would be okay if the show were about sort of their conversations and the way they interact and sort of the, the, the mechanics of their day, what they do. If like every episode began with the meeting, we saw them on their mm-hmm. lunch break. If it was truly a workplace drama, yeah, that's a great idea for a TV series. And there are moments, just moments, when the series kind of captures that, that's kind of banal, that banality. Um, but again, it's hard to tell if it even wants to be about that banality or if that's an accident. It clearly doesn't because of the way it's filmed. It's not filmed like some sort of kitchen sink, kind of realistic, down-to-earth, mm-hmm. grounded drama. It's shot like a spy thriller. Yeah, it's very with, dramatically with filmed. The, with the editing and with the lighting and with the, the even the acting, the actors are told everything's very tense. And the mm-hmm. music, of course, is just dictating everything. Yeah. So we're meant to think that this is a big spy thriller with every moment. And... Uh, and it's not working out that way because it's not being presented dramatically. Yeah. Um, or, or rather, it is being presented dramatically. It's being presented it's, too but it, dramatically. But it's not dramatic enough. And again, yeah. the, the real issue here is that every time Will is in the office, even mm-hmm. if they're talking about something really big, there's this ongoing investigation. There's a lot of mini investigations, mm-hmm. smaller assignments that take only one episode or two to resolve. But the big thing that they're responsible for doing is figuring out who this mystery, this mysterious person is mm-hmm. in a photograph with a known terrorist. This person, uh, we find out his name is George Beck, and we know nothing else about the dude. And a lot of episodes are dedicated, significant periods of time, are dedicated to deciphering these clues about who George Beck is. Mm-hmm. And here's the problem. It's all academic. <laughs> it's all, and, and I appreciate that there, from their perspective, there, it is. But from a dramatic perspective, watching this for a long period of time, and I can only imagine how difficult it must have been watching it only once a week as opposed to binging it like we were able mm-hmm. to. Um, for a long period of time, we don't know who this person is. We don't know what he's up to. Well, we don't have a there's, face. There's no, there's, in, no there's no impeding like immediate well, threat. No, I was yeah. about to say there's they're they're tracking down this mysterious character, but we don't know the significance significance of that character at all. Is, and neither do they for d- a long time. Does he have a bomb already? Yeah. Uh, is d- that even was, what he wants to do? Was he last seen in Minneapolis? You know what 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 is he up to? Yeah. What is this mysterious person? No, they're just sort of. He's just on a list. It's kind of like watching someone else do a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> you know, where it's just like, I don't... And, you, and then you find out afterwards, and that Rubik's Cube was mm. connected to a bomb. You should have told me that first! We, we, That's we, it. That would have been exciting! In a way, the show needed needed to be stupider. You know, it needed, <laughs> it needed those, like, dumb, clunky, cliched thrills... At least a few. ...to kind of move it forward a little bit. And the other thing is that when Will is, <laughs> when Will is outside of the office, and, like, literally the second he steps outside of the office, mm. he's in this conspiracy movie... Yeah. 
that is way more dynamic, has a lot more like secret codes. He's got this. Uh, Miranda Richardson plays the Scatman Crothers character in uh, The Shining, uh-huh. where like you kind of wonder why you keep cutting to her, but then you realize she's going to investigate her husband's death, and then eventually her path is going to cross with Wills, which they do in like episode ten. Or yeah, like yeah. really close to the end. There's like there's like one brief moment where you think they're gonna, uh-huh. and then they have like a really tiny conversation, and then they don't. <laughs> and it's really annoying, <laughs> annoying but, in kind of a good way. Like I was amused, mm-hmm. but you know they're gonna intersect finally. So like she's kind of waiting to be important. We find out that there are people following Will. There's one actually good episode where he sees someone following him. He confronts the guy. It gets really weird. You're not sure how tense it is. And it turns out the bosses is like, we have people following you because you work for a spy agency. <laughs> it's common. We're making sure you're, you're we're vetting you. Um, <laughs> what are you, an idiot? <laughs> But yeah, Miranda Richardson spends the course of the series investigating, completely independent from everybody else, investigating her own husband's suicide, uh, meets another woman whose husband also met a similar fate. They find yes. this sort of tying symbol of the four-leaf clover. Yeah. Uh, and, and they find, and a, they find a, a, a childhood photograph of yeah. a bunch of young boys who are like eight years old, and they're that photograph all, makes no sense. They me. all grew up to be part of the yeah. same conspiracy. That is one fucking that is one that is one really evil eight-year-old swim team. Yeah, I was like, about to say like this. Like, every kid in this the, eight-year-old's the, swim team the turned no-go. out to be an evil mastermind manipulating world events for personal like, gain. Like, the, like, this is even more contrived than Nowhere Man. You know, it's... it's <laughs> That that is one really involved no girls allowed tree club. And what's you know, weird is that if they just hadn't had that photograph, mm. if it had just been some <laughs> other unifying little clue, like one thing they do have is like they all those guys work at like this sort of dummy corporation, this Atlas Corporation, mm-hmm. Atlas Campbell, Atlas Thompson, something like that, I, something, something, like that. T- something very somewhat general, somewhat banal, uh, and the, a lot of them have like little office things from it, like paperweights. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, he has an atlas thing as well. He's probably connected somehow. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The photograph is really specific and really personal. And I just don't buy it. Like, not one of those guys <laughs> became like a dry cleaner. Like, nothing. Like, no one like yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. didn't meet their like one guy. I, he tried to start a punk man, and then he gave up and became <laughs> like a reporter. Like something that wasn't mm-hmm. like clandestine. Like it's weird. It's uh, an, by making it that big. Uh, uh, an idea they made this the whole pl- subplot seem a little dumber but not yeah. in a good way but not in that, that good exciting well, 24 like, crazy cliffhanger way it seemed like they didn't know what to do with the mystery it's like they introduced this photograph of the young boys and that's an interesting image and it has a, a, yeah. a, a clover drawn on the back of it and it's like and oh, we, this is really mysterious and we come to realize early on that a clover mm. is to Rubicon what like an orange is to the godfather someone's gonna die yeah there you, you go you know um, like it, that has weight so putting it on the back and, of those kids I'm like ooh what's that mean uh, it's, it, it really is dumb, isn't it? I, <laughs> a little dumb. When when David Lynch was working on Twin Peaks, yeah, uh, he started sort of saying really frustrating things that television viewers hate to hear. In that he says he loves a good mystery, and the only thing that can ruin a good mystery is the solution. He doesn't want to. He wants to give you more and more clues, but every clue should be. Should make everything even more complicated and mysterious, mm-hmm. or at least make it more interesting. Ad like, infinitum, he's never going to get to the end. Which is actually, again, and we've talked about this I- in other shows. Mm-hmm. We talked about this, and we talked about certain movies. Um, a good mystery, again, it, it isn't about who done it; mm-hmm. it's about why. And when well, you, and when you start if, investigating why even, and even everyone's with, character and every motivation, everything gets a lot more complicated, a lot more interesting. My point was going to be, even with David Lynch, just being lost in the mystery is interesting enough. 
I have a feeling that the people who conceived of a lot of the images and a lot of the conspiracy plot points uh, were just sort of throwing it out there kind of at random and then handing mm. it off to another screenwriter, like an ex- exquisite corpse style. Yeah. And eventually somebody had to come up with a solution for this. And the explanation they came up with was like, it well, seems so rushed and not planned and not well, thought out. And you got to realize that we, I, presumably Josh Horwitz, the original creator of the show, mm. had a plan. Yeah. He must have. Uh, otherwise, he would have been doing a very bad job. And the pilot's <laughs> excellent, so I believe that he was going to be uh-huh. doing great. Um, and again, no slight uh, to the late Henry Brommel, but like it's entirely possible that you know the original game plan for even just the conspiracy, not just the focus of the show, mm. but the actual plot, changed a bit. Uh, we had on What the Flick, I do television reviews on What the Flick, mm. um, we did MTV's Scream, which was just sort of a fun little, we had like a little gap in, the, in our schedule, and we were able to fit Scream in, so we did. Uh, Scream is a season-long slasher mystery show. Someone's killing all these teens. Who done it? It's mm. kind of a soap opera. It's a fun series. Not great. Uh, but they changed showrunners between season one and two. And we had the showrunners of season two on board, and they changed everything. Like, yeah. there was going to be, like, there was a second killer. We never found out who they were. Uh-huh. And we find that out at the end of season one. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. I don't want to ruin the whole thing for you. Well, you've but, seen the movie. I think it's... No, but it's, it's, that's not an adaptation. Oh, okay. It's just a similar uh, kind of deal. So, but, yeah. So, we found out who one of the killers was, but then we found out they had some sort of accomplice. Uh, the original plan that everything was plotted around to make sure the story worked when we found out this person was the accomplice, mm. they decided that wasn't the accomplice. <laughs> okay. And it worked okay. fine, but, like, you know, you can you can tell that they yeah. said to sort of shove some characters and plot points in where they didn't necessarily belong. So and Maybe there was a plan eventually, yeah. but you can tell that... The, whatever the plan was, they were abandoning it. Abandoning it. Yeah. Um, uh, other things that happen in the show. Yes. Uh, there's a character we didn't get to. Uh, there's Maggie. Uh, yes, the we se- mentioned her briefly. She's played by uh, Jessica Collins. Uh, she was on the One Season Wonder. Maybe we'll get to it on the series The Nine, mm-hmm. which is about a bunch of people who were in a bank robbery and what happens to them after the fact. Yeah. Uh, she is... Kind of the mousy secretary to James Bedgedale. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has the hots for James Bedgedale, and who wouldn't? He's a hot dude. Yes. And uh, she, that's kind of her story. She just has the hots for him. And, and then, then. She, then she has a one night stand with a guy who looks a lot like James Bedgedale. <laughs> and uh, right before he knocks on her door saying, hey, can I crash at your place? I think my apartment's bugged. And she says, sorry, I'm having a, a one night affair with uh, a guy who looks, guy who looks, like him, looks yeah. almost exactly like you. So yeah. no. Well, I mean, that's, but that's, that's not her. Also. That's the end of that. And but that's then, not her. Also. Yeah, then her she actual has a plot. Secondary plot. Her secondary plot is that mm. she is also spying on Will mm. for Will's boss, Kale Ingram, played by Arliss Howard. We haven't really talked about him too much. Um, and for a long time, actually, I would say pretty consistently, Kale Ingram is the, is the most interesting character on the show. <laughs> Kale Ingram is a character who we meet, and he's kind of this middle management type. He's got power, but he answers to people. Um, he gives orders, but he's not in any sort of comfortable position um he believes that what he is doing is for the good of america before and you buy that early on but at the same time you're not sure if that's made him corrupt yet so for like about half the series mm. you don't know if he's the villain or not you just know he's spying on everybody above and below him involved with people who are in some cases romantically involved with people who are assassins <laughs> uh turns out he's gay um mm-hmm. and he's got like a pretty decent satisfying home life uh, with a guy who we don't find out a lot about him. I get the impression he's kind of an artsy type based on the 
uh, way their he, apartment he, is designed. That, that that character did not stay in my memory. <laughs> it's, a, it's a minor character. Yeah. Maybe they would have gotten to it in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, but he's like a total quiet, confident badass mm. in yeah. a way that is feels that feels realistic to me. Like mm. I buy that this is probably what people are like who have this gig who are really really good at it, and as a result, he is really fucking threatening. Isn't he like? Doesn't he like? Doesn't it seem like he really could do anything? Like I, I found I, that really exciting. I got a completely different impression of that really? guy. Uh, he he was so assertive in sort of a social way. I got the idea that he was sort of chummy. That he was uh, like the the only trustworthy one, the only one that you can really sort of confide in because he's the one who's going to hold your secrets for you. I didn't trust that. Okay. that that's <laughs> that's what seems so distant. He's he's right. too nice, and then you find out he is nice, but he mm. will also betray you if that's what it takes. There's this great right. bit uh, towards the end where, um, well, no, we'll get to it later. We'll, we'll, that's, that's, right. that's like a big plot point. Um, okay, so let's right. see. In the second um, episode. And there was also, yes. uh, do, you, do you want to get to the sexy neighbor yet? No, that's later. All right. Because um, that's, 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 that's fun. Uh, so in the second episode, Will investigates more of the conspiracy, mm-hmm. um, but not a hell of a lot moves forward. We can't really do this one on an episode I'm trying episode to episode basis. Well, I'm just trying to think uh, of this, the storyline, just keeping it going yeah. as a narrative. Um, in episode three, we find out there's a whole bunch of like uh, secrets hidden in the motorcycle, like an easy rider, yeah, but with there's, clues. There's like a code hidden in the seat of the motorcycle. And there's this really fucking weird idea that like, oh yeah, he put a code in there. That's something you wouldn't know. So you'd have to contact his son to find out about it. And then you'd find out the code is about the Yankees, which you don't know anything about, but it refers vaguely tangentially to a guy who has a similar name to you. And that's how you know you broke the code. And I'm watching this and I'm just going what <laughs> there's there's smarter than I am and then there's just unnecessarily convoluted and mm. I think that's where episode three uh, f- sadly found its home mm. um, let's see episode four um, that's the episode where Will and uh, his boss go on a whole bunch of meetings and you just see how basically the spy game and the uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the intricate web in which uh, the intelligence community exists basically exists uh, in rooms full of men mm. posing to each other it's, it's it's very it's very glowering but very clerical yeah um, there's also a great mm. bit about briefcase etiquette which I appreciate it it's a detail <laughs> how to pick the right briefcase when you're a spy mm. I thought that was kind of fun um, let's see here. Oh, and that's the one where we meet uh, his sexy neighbor. He's mm. got a neighbor who lives right across the way. She is very sexy, and she is played by Annie Paris from Vinyl. Oh, that that was her, wasn't it? Yeah, and also uh, from As the World Turns, mm. uh, Law and Order, The Following. Um, he's got a sexy neighbor who's a recognizable character actor. And uh, we don't really get to meet her in this episode, but you know she's important because you recognize her from that one show you watched that one time. Uh, she, uh, yeah, she's like some bohemian artist. Uh, they their windows face one another, mm-hmm. and they she's, constantly smirk and they're kind, kind of, of like flirty. looking at each other, or or she, she kind of smiles and flirts with him, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually, of course, they'll end up t- interacting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rather intimately. Well, he thinks his he thinks his apartment has been bugged, and so he kind of he's getting paranoid. He flees, and he just goes to her apartment, mm. and she's kind of cool with it. 
and she starts like coming on to him, and Ra- they have so strongly, very strongly, like 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 more so than Faye Dunaway in Three Days of a Condor. She even like, she even says at one point, it's like, hey, I, okay, I have to admit to you, I came over here a because I think you're hot, but mostly I just want to keep an eye on my apartment from a safe venue uh-huh. uh, because I, I'm a, I'm up into some like shady stuff. And she's like, oh, well, uh, you know what? That's kind of weird. But hey, are we going to do it? The impl- I think I think that's almost her line of dialogue. She, she acts like she thinks it's like some kind of weird game, like some mm-hmm. sort of weird role playing thing. And she doesn't care. And for me, that makes it super fucking suspicious. So when at the end of the show, you real you find out she's actually a secret, like a, a spy. I'm just like, well, fucking duh. Of course she's a spy. Like, how could she not be? She's suspiciously hot, interested in him for absolutely no reason. He comes over to her with the most lame fucking paranoid excuse imaginable. And instead of kicking him out, she welcomes him into her home, lets her have sex with him and gives him house keys mm-hmm. the next day. <laughs> she's a spy, Will. Mm-hmm. Jesus. I know you're not a... Fucking like secret no. super agent guy, but well, that's pretty. Will, you're already paranoid. You're being watched. Will is, I suspect, a little bit on the spectrum. You think? Uh, a, I wish he played it more like that. Well, because when he interacts with other people, he's very guarded. He's he doesn't. He's not very warm. He doesn't open up. The only pe- person he can really talk to is uh, who is it? Ed, the uh, the ex API guy, who's like a little bit nutty now. Who and. Uh, the entire, uh, if you look at the opening credits and you look at sort of the tone of the pilot, uh, a lot of the show is based on sort of pattern recognition and those scenes in movies where people put up a bunch of pictures and then connect yarn to all of them. Oh, the wall of crazy, uh, I believe it's called. There, the wall of crazy is like a unifying symbol in the opening credits. And it's mm. this guy, Ed, is the living embodiment of that. He used to see yeah. pattern and now he sees too uh, many patterns. He used to have Will's and, job. He used to work with Will's boss who died uh, in the beginning. And now he's long since retired. Will needs someone on the outside to help him do research. He starts coming to him. But then Ed starts going a little off the deep end and mm. Will realizes that his wall of crazy is just a little too crazy so Will goes back home to his own slightly smaller less crazy wall of crazy Well, yeah, but he has a wall of crazy is my point and yeah. uh, you, you can tell that you need sort of a fringe uh mind to yeah. work on this sort of stuff. And you I do. You need to be able to connect things that mm. other people wouldn't see. That you gotta be vaguely and uh, uh, Will, if, uh, if at least obsessive. Is, if this had been more about Will's personality, or if James Badgedale had really sort of zeroed in on that mm-hmm. and played him as a little bit more of somebody who actually was readably to the audience on the spectrum, it would have been a much more fascinating program because we got we would get to know the kind of personality that would be drawn to this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And seeing him at work in a com- in an environment where he's comfortable, even though he's still not completely comfortable having co-workers. But they don't play it that way because mm-hmm. he's always leaving and he's A, too handsome, B, mm-hmm. a, little a little too, too handsome. A little too char- it's like uh, In the first episode like he has... Off. You know in the first episode he has eraser head hair? Like they go out of <laughs> his way to make sure his hair makes him look a little crazy like a little not cool mm. and then shortly afterwards he gets a halfway decent haircut yeah yeah i think that was a mistake yeah i liked should. that interpretation because james Adele is a very handsome man but he was playing it like he didn't know he was handsome yeah and he had no uh, interest that, in that presenting was great himself. and that yeah. was great but uh, <laughs> the story loses sight of that a bit uh, he starts getting involved in these conspiracies and we don't get to see him sort of interact socially so we don't know who he is anymore and yeah uh, and then, well, in the next episode, he goes to dinner uh, over at Kale's apartment, and Kale actually brings him in on an investigation. But here's a weird plot point. So, in the uh, b- earlier on, we saw that 
Will mm-hmm. had followed a suspected assassin, a guy who may have killed uh, David, his old boss, uh, and he followed him to a restaurant where he turned out to be having dinner with Kale. Mm. Uh, and Kale sees him there, doesn't oh. say anything because he's a slick customer, uh, invites Will over uh, uh, to dinner. And basically hones in on Will's investigation and says, oh, yeah, that assassin, he died under mysterious circumstances. And I'm like, we didn't see that. He's alive as fuck. <laughs> but Kale is now deeply ingrained. Uh, he's actually a confidant with Will, even though he's still spying on Will with Maggie. Uh, and um, there's also one of the dumbest things I've seen Will do on this series. He sees someone else following him. He, this has happened before. Is this where he just confronts the guy? He confronts the, the guy yeah. and he says, hey, yeah, a, a prop plane can land in fucking Cairo. I can have three numbers off of the license plate. And in one day I can tell you everything about the pilot and his family. Mm. I have your picture. Takes the picture, guy's picture to his face. What do you think I'm going to do? The guy's like, I don't know. I'll probably just fucking shoot you. <laughs> like, that's what he should have said. Like, what is, and the guy just sort of stands there like, what? But I'm like, that's a stupid thing mm. to do. That's just I gotta, stupid. Again, if they had established he was on the spectrum and he's not Might quite graceful in this sort of yeah. thing. Uh, it's it's did, super did, fucking weird. Did you end up seeing the accountant? I missed the accountant. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Which, that, that seems like more what this should have been. Yeah, a little bit more. Like, uh, but again... That was here is really crazy, though, right? Well, in that one, he's, he's in dialogue. He's on the spectrum. He's just an autistic person. Uh-huh. Um, but the problem is he's played by Ben Affleck, uh-huh. who's just like a handsome, affable guy. Yeah. And he interacts with Anna Kendrick, who's this gorgeous, affable young actress. And the, their chemistry is too strong for you to believe that Ben Affleck is on the spectrum. There's another good bit. It um, doesn't quite work. In episode six, there's another good bit I like where Miles, <clears throat> who has nowhere else to go, he's spending really long hours at the office. He's mm-hmm. no point in him going home. His wife and kids have left him. Um, he volunteers to stay behind and eavesdrop mm-hmm. on uh, a wedding that uh, George Beck, or at least his accomplices, are attending uh, in the hopes of finding mm-hmm. out some important information. And then everyone's gone for the night, and he realizes, oh shit, everyone's talking in a language I don't know. <laughs> I thought they'd be speaking in German. They're speaking in Urdu. And he's just running around the building. Who where, speaks Urdu? Yeah. For, there's no like, there's not a lot of communications devices, because they don't want anything to be able to leave the building, so there's not a lot of what he can mm-hmm. do. He's running around yelling out, does anyone speak Urdu? And there's no one there. Finally, this one woman pops her head up in the back, huh? Do you speak Urdu? Who doesn't? <laughs> Come over <laughs> and that, and they end up actually having this kind of like, kind of nice, kind of nerdy, mm. uh, romantic, ongoing relationship. They're actually really nice. Like it's, it's nicely handled. It's Good really nice. well in, in that episode. It's really nice because you actually get to see them kind of interacting and. Mm-hmm. She, the, she was reading some wedding vows and you realized that they actually had a little bit of romantic tension and then he mm-hmm. had to break it in this really kind of heartbreaking way. Well, because it was work. It was like, oh shit, that's really important. Yeah. I gotta do this work thing. And, you know, it's an well, awkward situation. The, the, no, there was the scene where she she just turned to him and says, oh, are you married? And he kind of look her in the eye and say, well, actually, yeah. And, you know, he, he's separating separating from his wife, so yeah. he wants to start pursuing this romance, but he still can't because he's still got the ring on. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a tough it, situation, it's kind of, and it's, it's handled well. It's handled well, and yeah. when she comes back later in the show, mm-hmm. I would have liked to see more of an interaction between the two of them. Um, yeah. Are we to the... Uh, Bottle episode? 
the lie detector episode. Yeah, this episode seven okay. is the truth will out. At the beginning of this episode, everyone's going about mm-hmm. uh, their usual business. The subplots are continuing apace. Mm-hmm. And then the FBI shows up, storms the castle, says, nobody leave, we're on a mole hunt. <laughs> and it turns out everyone's got to take a lie detector test. Even like the, even like Spangler, like mm-hmm. the bad guy. He's got to actually like just get in a lie detector test. And Kale's just like, yeah, but I've beaten lie detector tests before. You should know that. And they're just like, we're still going to give you the lie detector test. Yeah. Meanwhile, Miles is fucking freaking out because he accidentally left a classified document in a taxi cab. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he's the mole. Well, and, and I yeah. love his interrogation. It's like, what yeah. is your name? Have you ever taken illegal drugs? I took a file. I took a file. <laughs> He just defuses up immediately. Just the tension is completely broken. Uh, Tanya's worried they're going to catch her on uh, her drug charges, and it turns out, of course, that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, everyone keeps thinking, oh, who's it going to be? We're going to find out that like Spangler is going to be the bad guy or whatever like that. Turns out it was some guy we never met who oh. just happened to be using a little bit of information to play the stock market. The, the mole is just a dude. Some dude in the background. We ne- maybe we seemed... saw him in the background a couple of times. Also, it turns out it was a smoke screen because there was a bug that they were trying to get in and out of James Vegdale's office, so... Yeah. Ah. Okay, yeah. There's a weird bit, I mentioned before, there's this weird bit with, like, a... We've been talking a a lot about the plot, but we need to address the fact that the, the... it doesn't feel like much is happening on the show. Yeah, when like you're actually watching. It, it sounds like pretty in, like vaguely intense. Like when we're talking about this, you gotta we're seven episodes in. Not actually that much has happened. Mm. Enough has happened to fill like a podcast, <laughs> to fill like a couple episodes of a show. But a lot of it is just this sort of general impression that something is happening. A lot of talking about stuff that is happening off camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit of twisting in the wind with Miranda Richardson. Like, seriously, Miranda Richardson's character is someone that, I think, it, given how the series wound up, probably should have introduced her in, like, episode six. There's yeah. enough for her to do for half a season. Mm. You, you, you have to keep her in every episode because it seems like she'll be important. Most of the time, she's not doing anything important. Mm. She's And, and I, at first, I was like, oh, maybe she's in the show. To just be sort of like this Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, just sort of like see how the the see the impact mm-hmm. that these big major Machiavellian machinations can have on people who don't know that they're connected to. Okay, that would have been fine. Oh yeah, but most of it's just her being sad in rooms and finding out her husband was reading a Graham Greene novel, even though he hated Graham Greene. And I'm like, a, who fucking hates Graham Greene? <laughs> B, I'm not enthralled. Mm. It doesn't move quickly enough. Will's investigation, whenever it has a big bullet point, it's pretty cool. But most of the time, it's just him like, ah, but then there's this thing, and then there's this thing. Well, what does that mean exactly? I'll tell you in an episode and a half. Like, (laughs) no, you you can't. And then, like, I I like Miles. Miles Mm. has enough, like, enough of an inner life that is very clear that I'm able to get emotionally invested in him. I kind of like Tanya, even though we don't really see enough of her. I like Grant, actually. I think, you like uh, Grant? I think Grant, well, Grant is like the most relatable character. The guy, the guy who is passed up for a promotion and is grumpy about it. And he, but he's kind of a douche. But that's, he's that's, kind of the guy who's like, there's a bit... That's, that's fine, we can all be douches in the workplace. That's true. Every there's, workplace has a douche. I like this one bit, we find out he was named after Ulysses S. Grant, and Tanya's like, you were named after one of the five worst presidents in American history? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Miles, five worst presidents in American history. And it's just like... Yeah, and he lists them, and then the fifth one is Grant. Yeah. Okay, one second. Hey, the cat is over on the sink. Bad cat. All right. <laughs> Can we get yeah. back to the show? Yes, now? the cat was being bad. Okay. Sergio, bad cat. Um, okay. 
Uh, what else is happening? Oh, in the okay. Show? Uh, so, uh, uh, oh, Grant. Let's talk about Grant. So, okay. Grant was passed over for this promotion. He's not really that qualified, but he's mm-hmm. like a little older than everybody else, and you get the impression he probably should have been by now if he ever was going to. And meanwhile, Spangler, who's starting to catch wind that Will is investigating his clandestine operation, uh, starts chumming himself up with Grant. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you have a you have aspirations, Grant. <laughs> Grant, you you wanna you wanna lead the team. And he's like, sure thing, Mr. Spangler. Great. Well, this might be important later. Like, and it's just... Uh, uh, you're, 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 you're tipping dangerously close to Judd Hirsch. <laughs> dangerously close to Judd Hirsch sounds like my biography title. <laughs> um, but that never really goes anywhere because well, Will never it, does it. Because the implication it, is that Spangler's going to have Will killed. And then he doesn't. Oh, I thought the implication was that he was going to promote Will, which he does. No, you mean Grant. Or Grant, excuse me. He, was gonna he promotes Grant because he thinks Will Grant. has been murdered. And Will hasn't been murdered. Mm. Will kills the assassin and then fucking Kale shows up. To, to with sop his, the body. With yeah. his like hard rocking Jean Renault from the professional, not professional, from La Femme Nikita. Uh. You know, that guy who comes in just to clean up bodies. So they just put Will, they turn on the music real, real loud. They put Will in the bathroom, say... And then you just hear really loud fucking heavy metal playing mm-hmm. and then a buzzsaw. Yeah. That bit's great, actually. That bit's well, kind of cool. It's, it's him, like, being involved in something he shouldn't be, but also on the outside. It's kind of cool also because it's, like, one of the only kind of outrageous uh, melodramatic things that happens on this show. Yeah. It's like that you've been waiting for something to come to a head. All of, all of a sudden there's death and violence, like, on camera finally. Yeah. There's a great bit uh, coming up in the next episode, like episode eight, where uh, Kale... Uh, who again? Who has been spying on Will with Maggie? Uh, just fucking tells Will, "Oh yeah, Maggie's spying on you." Mm-hmm. And Maggie's like, "Why the fuck? Why would you do that?" He was like, and he Kale's just like, "You were in love with him. You were eventually going to betray me anyway. I figured let's just nip this sucker in the butt." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "That's really pragmatic. I really like that." Maggie is a character who bothers me because I think part of it's the performance. Okay. She's played as so wallflowery mm-hmm. that she always looks a little, um, a little timid, yeah. in like every scene. And at first, I thought, okay, well, but well, she's spying it, for it Kale. Also... Maybe we'll find out she's got like a harder interior that we just don't see very often. But she gets walked all over by like her ex-husband, who's like not treating their daughter very well. She's and just there's it, not it a lot of layers to her. It doesn't help that they cast sort of a wispy actress in in the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, yeah, she does does doesn't have sort of a take charge attitude. Uh, it's almost the same character from Prophet, isn't it? A little bit. A little bit, that kind of put, yeah. upon, put upon, not entirely within the loop, secretary. But in Prophet, we saw like, places. in Prophet, we saw her grow over time and like sort of own mm. her own uh, strength, even when that led her down unethical paths. We saw her enjoying mm. being duplicitous. We don't really get that from Maggie. You get no. the impression that Maggie is just sort of put upon and sad. Uh, my apologies, we didn't actually, uh, Tanya didn't actually get outed as a drug addict until they started doing uh, drug tests, which is shortly after that. Oh, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. actually uh, the episode where uh, she and Miles, like the two underling investigators at the mm. at API, the think tank, are asked to come to a CIA black site to witness a torture investigation yeah, this, in order to verify the information know, that they're receiving. See, this is the danger of, if you're going to put on this show and you have to go to the bathroom, uh, pause it. Because uh, <laughs> I just sort of left it running. He's like, oh, y'all catch up when I get back. And I got back and they're in another country. <laughs> and there's torture going on. 
I thought that I had missed an entire episode. I felt like I'd missed a whole season. It's like, what, what the hell is going on now? Yeah. And they start talking about the ethics of torture and how yeah. some of them might kind of approve. Which is and, relevant. They're talking about when is this necessary? Is it necessary? Yeah, is there ever a situation when it's valid? There's another episode I mean, the, when but this all was, of them are... This was 2010. Yeah. And Still valid. The, 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 the war had in the Middle East... Uh, that began in 2003. Mm. Uh, it had been raging for a well, while. Well, before that in Afghanistan. A, a, yeah. a lot of these conversations were already being had in other movies and TV shows. That's essentially what 24 is about. It's, and, well, it's about the justification of that. Although 24 mm. predates uh, the 9-11 conflict. Uh, it, it does. 9-11 and its aftermath. It predates that. It does, but it's also like fell into stride with that. Oh yeah, no, it, it, it like just barely uh, preceded it, or it was like made like mm. it was in production before nine eleven, and then after nine eleven, it just seemed to get more relevant. It debuted after nine eleven. Yeah, but it, point, it was made it before that. It point. changed a lot, and uh, to. What 24 was doing was taking sort of a really hard look at this, trying to say that sometimes it's justified, or even when it is, it's it's never going to be ethical. Yeah. They were actually asking tricky, tricky questions and showing you all of the violence and kind of having you squirm in your seat over all of this that the government was actually kind of already up to in real life. And it was really disturbing, and it was really striking, and it was really salient. Mm-hmm. And here we come along in 2010 – to have this kind of mealy-mouthed conversation about torture from these analysts who are just now seeing it, it 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 feels like too little too late to me. It's a weird bit because there's another episode that actually does this way more effectively. Mm-hmm. Will is it's the episode where Will is out uh, with Spangler doing all their meetings or whatever, and the rest of his team uh, is tasked with uh, justifying a drone strike. Yeah. We have information. It's not 100% confirmed. We don't have any corroborating evidence. We just have a source <coughs> who says this person, who is a dangerous terrorist, is going to be here at this time in twenty four uh, in 48 hours. Hmm. Uh, we need to know if this information is reliable enough and if it is important enough uh, to just kill him and potentially anyone else who's in that building. Mm. And they have to, and it has to be unanimous. They all have to agree, kill him or let it go because it's not mm. worth the risk. And that is entirely relevant still to this day. Yeah. We've actually had a recent movie about that, I Am the Sky, with yeah, Helen Mirren, uh, which was all about if is any collateral damage worth it? Mm. Um, and then we had a movie like London Calling, Calling, which says that it doesn't matter if we London. kill their entire family, mm. we just think it's cool. <laughs> and just London London. Falling, shut up, London, London Falling. I, London has fallen. You London mean. has fallen. Sorry. <laughs> London Calling is the clash record. Yeah, okay. You know, you see here. Right? London has fallen. London has fallen is one of the most just ethically irresponsible movies oh, I've it, ever seen. Oh, is it ever? Oh, my God. Um, it's like almost to Taken levels of moral irresponsibility. <laughs> but Taken was personal. Taken was Taken more was fun. About, well, Taken, but Taken is about a personal, movie. a personal ethical choice. <laughs> London, Col- London calling. London has fallen. Mm. Uh, is about U.S. foreign policy mm. and why it's good to be assholes. Yeah, and woof, that, that should have been a sign. But let's not get too political here. Um, okay, then episode. We, we don't know when Grand Negus Trump is going to come after us. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Nagus. <laughs> For some people, some people are laughing right now, so you have no idea what you're talking about. And that makes me laugh I'll right now. I'll explain it later. <laughs> um, let's see here. Um, 
and then the plot well, just kind of keeps going. Well, the, uh, then, then there's actual like mm-hmm. like shit finally goes down when yeah. we finally find out who the main terrorist is, and we start when we actually mm-hmm. see him on camera. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, and, it turns out that they, the, the whole conspiracy, by the way, the whole conspiracy oh, was just God. all of these rich guys with positions of influence manipulating or at least taking advantage of horrible tragedies. There's like some sort of political uprising in Nigeria. They had something to do with, but they don't get into it too deeply to make money. Hmm. That's all they were doing. That's Harris Ulan was involved to make money. David knew about it, like mm-hmm. uh, Will's boss, who dies at the beginning, um, and he died because he mm-hmm. couldn't handle the information. Oh. Will knows too much. They're going to try to have oh, Will and, killed. And, Catherine and, knows too much. They're gonna and, ha- they do have Catherine. Oh, yeah, and David Rash. He's in there, too, in a couple episodes from Sledgehammer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's great. It, I, like, I like to hear... David Rash. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Rash or Rache, uh, but... yeah. Um, yeah, I, I watched Sledgehammer as a kid. He's got a small role. I kept expecting it to be bigger because mm-hmm. he's kind of a recognizable face. But yeah, he's just sort of involved. He's someone that Catherine, uh, the Miranda Richardson character, can talk to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Catherine meets up with Will. She gives him information. They figure out some stuff. Catherine dies in public. It's kind of fucked up, actually. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It is sad. I had cared enough about her to care when she died. Um, uh, and then, uh, meanwhile... Uh, while Will is finally putting all the pieces together of the conspiracy, uh, they find out who George Beck is. Turns out George Beck has been an alias the whole time, which they treat like some sort of weird Kaiser Soze moment. And I'm like, it never occurred to you that that wasn't his name? And like the other name, like maybe he has yeah, multiple like, aliases? That never occurred to you? It's like they, they did. They were looking into one of the aliases and it's like, and this guy never existed before like last year. Maybe it's just it's an, an, yeah. Maybe it's an alias. I, like, this is, you have nothing to do but think about this guy mm. for months and that didn't occur to you that's like a weird you oh. know what the cops on law and order would have had that <laughs> in the first acts they would have been investigating it's hard to do listen <laughs> it's hard to do a mystery anyway mm. it's just in general because you put all the clues out there and you have to play fair they have to be like kind of around and uh you, you still want to try to surprise people with like mm. something they might have overlooked so you put out a lot of red herrings or whatever, but like when the people involved, it's literally their job to look at all this. I almost wish they had done that sort of cliched Independence Day moment. They're like, oh, you're going to catch cold. Oh, that's it, a computer virus. Yeah. Like someone from the outside said something. There was like a house moment mm-hmm. when House MD, <laughs> like someone says something to House about like uh, George Washington. Oh, that's it, gout. Mm-hmm. It was gout something, you know, like some weird... <laughs> weird thing but instead they're just like maybe it's an alias oh that's probably what we've been building to the entire season and you're like what um so turns out George Beck is actually a really nasty customer he plans to blow up something and he indeed they're trying to figure out exactly what he does and they figure out oh he's gonna blow up this thing and then someone comes in someone just blew up that thing Mm -hmm. and what it is is they blew up an oil tanker in this harbor in uh, Texas or in the south that is basically the through line from which we get all our oil and it'll take forever to clean it up and until then the U.S. energy structure is fucked Mm. which is actually really intense like that's actually like ooh wow that's actually like a moment of huge crisis it's intense but all of a sudden in this show that where not a lot has been happening and they haven't really been focusing on a spy plot we essentially have a James Bond villain who yeah. is like trying to? First of all, that's not the way that works. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, can't, you can't blow up one tanker and shut off all of America's energy. Uh, but let's let that go for a minute and allow that it's it's cool. it's, it's a super villain moment in a show that has previously not had a super well, villain dynamic. Okay, but seriously though, when you think about something like uh, let's let's look at something like horrific, like nine eleven. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, 
that was, when you look at it in the abstract, a lot of people looked at the, the news footage mm. of that event and said, my God, it's like some kind of movie. And actually, sure enough, it came in on the heels of the one season wonder we'll get to someday, Lone Gunman, oh. which was a spinoff of the X-Files. And in the pilot episode of the Lone Gunman, the Lone <laughs> Gunman avert a plane that was going to fly into the World Trade Center. Mm. And, and they end up on the plane and tilting the plane so that it flies between them on its side, uh. all badass. <laughs> Reality mm-hmm. is sometimes over the top and insane. I, and I buy um, that someone who's actually trying to destroy America uh. would do something over the top and insane to do it. So I was actually willing to buy that. I appreciate that the logistics of it are probably thinned out in order to like sort of work. Yeah. It's got to be someone unexpected because if they just blow up a landmark... We'd be like, oh, okay, we've seen that before. Oh. But the idea that they blew up something strategic right. that maybe people didn't realize was super <laughs> important, that that makes sense to me. I'm like, I'm actually, okay, I'm, you know, I'm fine with that. And then um, uh, Will gets the evidence he needs to like show that this Spengler's whole operation was behind this whole thing. And then he confronts Spengler on the top of the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spangler, by the way, who has uh, been told he's too radical for his organization and just got a four-leaf clover. It's the implication that he's going to die. Um, Spangler says, uh, go ahead, tell who you want. They'll do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And then the show ends. That's it. That's it. That's it's, we, you watch this scene, like, and it just sort of stops. And my first thought was, oh, waiting. no, the ending of the show has been cut off. We didn't get the last bit of the show. <laughs> and I actually got really depressed and I started and I looked it up online. I was like, no, no, that's just how Rubicon ended. And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, I can see why maybe people weren't excited about a season two mm-hmm. because there's no cliffhanger. Well, there's it didn't surprise me that the show ended that way because every episode ended that way. Now, you're watching any show, whether it's serialized, whether it's a, a, a ser- you know story of the week. Whatever it is you're watching, there's always going to be some sort of button. There's going to be some sort of hook. There's going to be mm-hmm. a, a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. Something. You can, oh no, Dave is back so, from the dead. Something you can at least hang your hat on. And it turns mm-hmm. out, it turns out it, we, they were just at lunch. Oh well, that wasn't that funny. Hang your hat, go home. You know, it's mm-hmm. or hang up your hat and go in wherever you hang your hat. Yeah. The point of the thing is that you no longer have a hat. <laughs> <laughs> my my point is there's closure. There was no closure at the end of any episode of Rubicon. Just sort of, it was the final scene. Didn't end so much as it just stopped. Yeah. It, it, like, it, there, there was no momentum at all, not even mm-hmm. with, within each episode or within the whole series. And because it started with such a crackerjack, it built up such a head of steam, you keep expecting it to do something and it never does it. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like somebody revved up a toy car on a tabletop and then dropped it on a carpet. It's like okay, it's gonna go real, real fast. And you put it on carpet, and it kind of crawls a little bit. And, and it's not like, and it's not like hole. a cool, uh, uh, ambivalent ending, like Inception, where yeah. you never find out whether whether it's one thing or the no, other. It's not or, ambiguous. It's yeah. just nothing. Yeah, like that's the thing. It just sort of it's, it's in the middle of a scene. Mm-hmm. It's it it feels like a mistake. Yeah, and it's it's kind of frustrating because honestly, the show was maybe it wasn't just getting good. But it started to have tangible stakes. Stuff mattered. People we mm. cared about, or at least somewhat cared about, died. Yeah. Uh, America was under attack. So all of these academic discussions that they were having, we see absolutely they mattered. And now their work matters more than ever. 
Uh, Tanya uh, decides to quit, so they're going to be short-staffed. Mm. Um, so that that sucks. Like, that's going to make it Gr- Grant finally gets that promotion. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, because Will just decides to leave. I love the scene where he, yeah, it's nice where actually he, where he gets the promotion. And he goes to Will and says, "Hey, I got promoted." This might make things awkward, but you know, I think I can do a good job. Uh, I wasn't gunning for this, but I got this yeah. job. He's that I kind of before. he's kind of embarrassed he's by a little, a little, he's a little, he's a little, little embarrassed, but he's still going to take the job. And Will just says, "Yeah, it's cool. You you deserved it more than me anyway. So yeah, uh, peace out." And that's it. <laughs> and Grant's just left in the office, going, "Huh? Oh, well, that that went that went well. That went well. Good for him." Um, Imagine if we had some tension. Oh no. <laughs> Well, it's okay to diffuse tension if you also have tension. Exactly. Yes. That's the problem. Is that there wasn't enough tension. To um, so it's it's a, it's a frustrating show because pieces of it are great. Individual characters are really exciting. Some of the ideas are really exciting. The occasional uh, um, the setup was great. Like the pilot episodes are. Re- you were really excited after the pilot, right? When is like this show is going to be like really articulate well, was, and smart and exciting? I, I was and, looking forward to seeing where it was going to go. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, it just doesn't quite go there. Or when it does, it's always sort of tainted because it's also trying to be another thing half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's it's watchable. I think it works way better as a binge than it would as a weekly because it's way yeah. too much talking about stuff that we're not actually seeing. Um, if it had gone 100 episodes, Brandon has some thoughts about okay. that. Uh, this is um, Brandon's statement for afterwards. Yeah. It says, while I love the show, I don't think it could sustain itself for 100 episodes. I would have loved a second and third season that deals with the aftermath of the first. Some would go to jail. Some would take their own lives. Some would walk free. Kale Ingram would continue to be the biggest and scariest badass on the planet. <laughs> on the other hand, sometimes it's good good that things get canceled too soon. Not knowing what comes next or what's around the corner is the best part of spy dramas. Brandon. That's, um, uh, that's fair. I think that's fair. I, also, I think it's perfectly <coughs> fair to say that the show probably couldn't sustain itself for 100 episodes. But I do believe... There's enough good pieces here. There's enough good actors here. There's enough good characters. So I like the idea of the character. Nothing about the show is so broken that if you continued it, like in second season, like it really finds its stride, Mm. that the show couldn't have become really great. It's it's not that it's broken. It's that they never put it together. Uh, I'm wondering if you can put it together. The the, the showrunners had all these pieces and they had all these characters and they had all these great actors and they never knew what to do with them. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the conflict was, and I I did a little reading on this, you know, the original creator of the show wanted to be a spy thriller. The second showrunner wanted it to be a workplace drama uh, and never the twain ever met if they had dropped the spy angle entirely mm-hmm. and turned it into something else, maybe it would have worked. Yeah. Maybe if they had actually made it into a workplace drama, maybe if they had done really committed to it, yeah. if they had chosen a tone or chosen a direction or chosen anything for this show other than what we got, then perhaps it would have shown some promise. But as it was, it was eight directions at once. Well, they were stuck. It was though. completely unfocused. The only way to, the only if way to, they were stuck, then I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did. Well, they should have, here's what they should have done. They either should have like buckled down and reshot the pilot mm-hmm. or they should have committed. Cause basically with that original pilot sets, uh, a path that the show has to follow. Yeah. You can't wrap up that huge conspiracy storyline that is set up in episode one by episode two or three and then continue apace mm. as a less intense workplace drama. This The the die has been cast and mm. you just have to, to, to let the chips fall. I don't even know the metaphor I'm going with. You have to, <laughs> you have to just not, sort not of to embrace... Metaphors or anything. You have to embrace what it is and what it is at the beginning is a story with a lot of serious 
espionage intrigue. Mm-hmm. And when you try to distract from that, you might have some good ideas, but you still have all that stuff. Yeah. You have to, and in, by season uh, two, you could have maybe divested yourself enough to make more of a workplace drama, or you could have gotten a different showrunner. Mm-hmm. Brought back the original, hell, if you're able to do that. AMC doesn't have a good track record of that. Though. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, and then just reef because the problem with the show isn't again the pieces; it's the focus or mm. the lack thereof. Yeah, if they yeah. picked one or the other, Rubicon could have been great, like truly great. Uh, maybe, but I, I, my point is, it, it, and I think maybe <laughs> even with another season, mm. it could have found that. Mm. I think that's possible. It, it, there wasn't. There was so little focus in the first season, is my point. Yeah. Is that even with a second, I don't think they could have. But why is that? We used I think, to, I shows used to have more time, if um, they were even reasonably successful, to find mm. their path, to find their balance. Yeah, because they used to be cheaper to make. Well, that's true. But even you look at something like, like a show everyone loves. You mm. don't love it, but a lot of people love it. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Really good show. Um, the first season of that show is merely okay. Like, it's an okay f- mm. fantasy action teen show. Okay. But it wasn't until about the second half of season two that it got great. So, oh, but, but, point, why, but why can't we allow did, things to did, grow? Did the focus change? Did something dramatically happen between seasons one and two? They didn't change the premise of the show. No, they didn't, I'm not saying it you have to change was, the premise. Yeah. I'm just saying the focus became a little bit more... Uh, less it became focused less on episodic monsters of the week. It always mm. had that, and the f- focus became more on um, the sort of uh, big superhero-y mm. kind of elements. These huge characters and their epic struggles. Mm. Um, you know, big deaths, betrayals. Good right. guys go bad. Bad guys go mm. good. This became the sort of emotional crux that would get <laughs> us through a whole seasonal arc. Whereas that mm. first season above the Vampire Slayer. It's really just Monster of the Week, much like mm. Smallville, for example. But is it a good Monster of the Week show? It was okay. It was like okay. it was decent enough, so, but it got great. Mm. Rubicon is. I, Rub- I didn't dislike it, it but Rubi- it's it's kind of just okay. If Rubicon, it could have gotten great. Well, if Rubicon had started as something that was just okay, if it had started as something that was like I could actually go back to and identify and feel some momentum with. Then I would be looking forward to another season. Okay, so you just don't think the first season was any good? I, I thought I it was okay. I don't, yeah, I don't, I just didn't I don't think there was enough promise to really get us anywhere beyond this. Mm. It's like there was just this kind of smear, this <laughs> unfocused blur of a show. That's it's it's like it was like a half baked idea for a show that they never really put anywhere. Well, here's the question then: mm. Was it canceled too soon? Mm, no. <laughs> no. You think this is a, this is one season they had it shot? I I I got started to get mad at the show having to watch as much of it as I did. Oh, you poor little lamb. Well, no, I, I never actually hated it. It's actually what it, it is watchable. It's you know not yeah. incompetent or anything. It's just I, I was frustrated. It's it's great on the show when we find shows that we love. Mm. Uh, we find shows that we love in spite of how dumb they are, uh. or even if we find shows that we hate <laughs> because there's something kind of there. But when there's a show like Rubicon, which is Competent it's in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but just doesn't really hit you in particular. Because I liked it okay. Uh-huh. Um, that that gets a little frustrating because then we had to sit down and watch the whole season. Right. Um, I, as for Rubicon, um, I, I'm I'm torn because okay. I really do see a path. 
to the show, like kind of like beginning a season two, firing on all cylinders, getting it right, finding that focus. We had a whole season. There was a lot of changeovers, uh, a lot of unforeseen difficulties. But now we'll have a little bit more time to develop it, get season two straight as a razor, make it work. Mm. On the other hand, yeah, if I were an executive, I'd cancel it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little too expensive to, to take a shot at it. Uh-huh. Um, and the foundation is too shaky that I'm not sure we're going to retain a lot of people. But the the plot is so developed. Maybe if we'd wrapped everything up in season one and season two could be seen as kind of a clean break, yeah. like a new yeah. storyline, maybe I would have given it a shot because then it would have had like, yeah, but it's season two. We'll just there's sort of like, cut to a year later. There's, we'll new, let, there's new characters. Yeah. There's a new dynamic. There's a new uh, subplot. There's a new conspiracy. Mm. Maybe that might have worked, but we're stuck with this. And I think a lot of people are, especially after that ending, mm. are not going to be super excited to see where it goes. So, yeah, I agree. It wasn't canceled too soon. But I think that's sad because there's no reason why it had to be. Like, it was yeah. so close. It could have been great. But yeah. it was just this this jumble. Yeah. And it's a shame. Yeah. Um, so that is canceled too soon. That is uh, Rubicon. Uh, a bit of a disappointment. Uh, but God knows we've seen worse. Oh, yeah. Much, yeah. much worse. Um, so so uh, sorry we didn't love it, Brandon, but we gave it a fair shot. Apologies to Brandon. Uh, but we have to be honest. Mm. Uh, and it sounds like Brandon's aware that the show has some flaws. Mm. So, But thank you again. Thank you uh, for contributing. Thank you for uh, our wonderful ending catchphrase, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, if you... Uh, Want to suggest a show for Cancelled Too Soon? We're always taking suggestions. You can tweet us at CancelledCast. Um, you can also email us, bmoviespodcast at gmail.com. All one word. That is our website. That's our email for both podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, just put the podcast title in the subject header so we know which one is which. Um, you can also ask us questions, comment on previous episodes, uh, episodes that we got coming up if you've seen the show. Um, we would love to hear from you. Do we have any letters uh, this week? Uh, we, by any we, chance? We do have tons of letters. But for Cancel Too Soon? For Cancel Too Soon. Well, then by all means, let's uh, get to a few. Let's, here's here's a letter for Cancel Too Soon. Okay. Uh, it goes back a bit. We're, we're backlogged on all, all our letters. How many backlog, How backlogged are we on Cancel Too Soon? Do we need to do a whole episode? Uh... We may at some point. Ooh, we okay. may have to. All right. Uh, this one comes from Augie. Okay. Uh, and it goes back to November. So. Oh Jesus Christ! Do you want Augie. me to read this one? This one's kind of long. Uh, yes. Could you? Because my voice <laughs> is, is killing me right now. <laughs> okay. It's probably killing all our listeners too. So sorry, guys. Mm. All right. Here's the letter. Hi, guys. As much as I would like for you to amend your rules and do a Firefly episode, I have decided that it's been much more entertaining to watch it evolve into a long-running villain for your show. (laughs) We're not doing Firefly. It had a movie. It had a second chance. Uh, I let my brain run with this idea. Never a good idea. And here's what I came up with. We st- oh, one second, your phone's weird. Okay. We start with the unfortunate premise that Cancel Too Soon has been canceled. Episode three of the eventual remake, because everything must have an eventual remake, <laughs> covers the original show. Oh, dear God. Well, discussing- We're getting meta here. You're really meta. Well, discussing what might have happened over 100 episodes of the original Cancel Too Soon, the hosts focus mainly on the battle between the show and the fans of Firefly. <laughs> they propose that in one season, there could have been an attempted hostile takeover of the show, which is defeated in the season finale after the secret mastermind is revealed to be a brown coat. For those who don't know, brown coats are fans, fans of Firefly. Of Firefly. Like, they're like Trekkies. Perhaps in one episode... They're like, they're like Trekkies, but lame. 
Shut up. I like Firefly. Perhaps <laughs> that, in one episode. you're lame. Because I'm awesome and you shut your dumb face. Perhaps in one episode, they actually review Firefly, but it turns out that it was all a dream. <laughs> That's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> that I might be willing to do. The hosts of the we new We wake Cancel- up and Joss Whedon is in the shower. That's going to be the, the last episode of Cancel Too Soon. We might do Firefly we're as not, a dream. We're never doing Firefly. <laughs> we'll, we'll do Firefly only if I can make it up. That's what the whole point about going 100 episodes is. You make a bunch of it up. Yeah, yeah. The hosts of the new Cancelled Too Soon argue for 45 minutes over whether or not that would count. We just did. <laughs> they finally agree that Cancelled Too Soon was in fact Cancelled Too Soon, if only because of this ongoing plot that they would have liked to have seen resolved. The new Cancelled Too Soon is cancelled before this episode is aired. What? Thanks for the great show. I think it was mentioned a while ago, but I would like to put in my vote for Wonderfalls. We're aware of it. Uh-huh. Uh, I loved it, but I'm honestly not sure if it was canceled too soon or not. I'd love to hear your perspective. Well, thank you for running in, Augie. Uh, find us in our next, our right. next letter here. Whitney's email is arranged oddly. Uh, yeah, I don't know uh, his phone. You okay? Uh, sorry, it's just my voice. You poor bastard. Yeah, I know. Mm. Let's see. Somebody wrote in about the dead zone, but it was the movie. Oh. For the for B Movies podcast, most most of these are uh, are for the B Movies podcast, uh, which you can uh, also listen to. That's where we have our movie reviews yeah. uh, and interviews as well. That's kind of fun. Here's another cancel too soon. Butter. Here's one from Frederick. What's up, guys? Before I start, let me say that you guys have a talent for making movies that I would not usually consider sound very interesting. Anyway, back to the reason we're here. I was watching Stranger Things recently, and after the second episode, I immediately started thinking about a show I haven't thought of in years. Eerie Indiana was very weird, like Stranger Things, from what I remember. So there's my recommendation. Eerie Indiana. Oh, we're totally going to do Eerie Indiana. Oh, yeah. Eerie Indiana is a show I keep thinking lasted longer than it did, but it only had one season. It only had one season. If, um, it, it looms large in a lot of uh, the consciousness of a lot of people our age. Yeah. It was, like saw it when they were young. There weren't a lot of shows like it at the time. Eerie, for the, If you don't know what Eerie Indiana is, it might have some fairly young... Uh, Viewers, but yeah, it's a lot like Stranger Things. The tone was a little lighter. Uh, it was about a kid who moved to Erie, Indiana. It's a town mm-hmm. where a bunch of weird things happened, and there was a different, fantastical, sort of morbid adventure mm-hmm. every single week. Um, it was a good show of memory serves. Um, it's if you liked Erie, Indiana, and wish there had been more of it. There's a great animated series called Gravity Falls, mm-hmm. which is very much inspired by Erie, Indiana. We had the creator of that show, Alex Hirsch, on the B Movies podcast oh. about a year ago. Uh, that show recently ended. It only had two. Well, Seasons by design. It's really great. Uh, which came first, Goosebumps or Eerie Indiana? The books, I want to say Goosebumps, but okay. I could be wrong. But they Is both there, hit that sweet spot, the, like sort was, of dark kid stories. Well, there, there was a, a minor boom of those yeah. uh, in sort of like the mid to late 1990s. Yeah, we also had uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Are which fa- was a very uh, popular uh, Nickelodeon series. Did you ever see Bone Chillers? No. Uh, made by friend of the show Richard Elfman. Oh, yeah. And Richard yeah. Elfman was one of our first uh, big uh, big guests. Mm. Uh, <sighs> okay, here's a fun one uh, from Chimera385. Puchinski, the first show we ever did on Cancel Too Soon, uh-huh. in which Peter Boyle was a uh, hard drinking, womanizing cop who died and came back as a dog, talking animatronic dog. Puchinski. <laughs> This person says, needs to cross over with Tequila and Benetti, another one-season series with a talking dog. Tequila and Benetti is a show I am desperate to find. <laughs> if, if you know where to find Oh my Tequila god, if you have Tequila and Benetti, email us, talk to us, let us know. Um, at some point soon, I'm actually going to develop, a, a lot of people have suggested that we have like a Patreon or a, a PayPal donations account, which is really cool if you'd offer 
Like for me, I just yeah. it seems so crass to ask. Um, but I think what we might do instead, or at least temporarily, to see if people like to do it, um, is like sort of put together and put out a link to an Amazon wish list for the show oh, to help go. us buy the buy DVDs. The shows that we can and see. if you buy us the DVD of the show, we can't promise it'll be at the top of the pile, but we'll get to it really soon. Yeah. yeah. So if there's like, oh, you, you guys don't have a DVD of. I don't know, Turbo Teen? We'll get you Turbo Teen, and then soon we'll have to do Turbo Teen. I think that'd be fair, and I think that'd be good. You can help the show along, but it's not just giving us cash. You're actually, like, investing in the content. That doesn't feel so whorish. Yeah, we could put that on, like, the Twitter account and maybe, like, a link on uh, on the episode yeah, yeah. I mean, themselves. If you, if you want to give me cash for sexual favors, just cut out the middleman. We'll just, yeah. just do that. He'll, trust me, Whitney will do anything. Here we go. Okay. Here's one from George White, another uh, uh, a long-time uh, uh, listener. He's great. Hi, and thanks for getting the pronunciation right. Sweet. <laughs> great, you're doing Baffled. We just recently did Baffled. Baffled was a Leonard Nimoy pilot that went nowhere where he was a race car driver. With psychic powers. With psychic powers. He solved mysteries. mysteries. Yeah, bless him. Um, Baffled is made by one of my obsessions, ITC, the company behind The oh. Muppet Show, Jesus of Nazareth, The Prisoner, all the Jerry Anderson stuff from Thunderbirds to Space 1999, mm. lots of 60s spy stuff, but not the Avengers, which are made by ITV, ITC's channel, but another subsidiary, it's a Jade British Corporation. George is very fond of detail, and I love him for it. <laughs> well, and he also knows the ins and outs of, like, the British studio system, oh, which know, is very great. different from the American No, it's really studio. useful information, so think of this. Um, ITC were part of ATV, who were the West Midlands station for ITV, the BBC's main rival, and until 1982... Only rival. Yeah. Each region had a different ITV subsidiary, and each made shows for the network. E.g., London had the Associated British Corporation, then Thames, home of Benny Hill, mm. and uh, Scotland has Scottish TV, Northern Ireland has Ulster TV, Northwest England, Grenada, and so on. ATV were founded by Lou Grade, who had an obsession to break America. So he began making shows aimed at the U.S. audience, and anything that did well outside the U.S. but failed in the U.S. was canceled. So a lot of one-season wonders that being made for the U.S. had long episode runs, so everyone in the U.K. used to think they were long runners anyway. <laughs> IDC began as a distribution arm, but devolved into shooting whatever was done on film as opposed to the norm on UK TV, videotape, though their US TV co-production ABC TV's Wide World of Mystery slash Thrillers was still shot on video. Grade in the 1970s, himself in the 70s, decided, I might be reading this wrong, decided to basically become a movie mogul after years of being a stage and TV impresario. He produced many movies, Return to the Pink Panther, The Eagle Has Landed, The Cassandra Crossing, The Boys from Brazil, Italian Exploitation, Killer Fish, Capricorn One, The Last Unicorn, The Dark Crystal, but was sank by producing Raise the Titanic and Legend of the Lone Ranger, and thus Ooh. the rights to his company, including the Muppet movies and his upcoming hits on Golden Pond and Sophie's Choice, got released by Universal. Grade also sold off a TV movie about British gangsters, The George Harrison's Handmaid, a little film called called The Long Good Friday. So, oof. That's, that's fell out of it right before it was going to be a huge hit. <laughs> Great made several pilots, some of which, like Baffled, got UK cinema releases. The other one they made alongside Baffled is one I introduced you guys to on Twitter, Madam Sin. Madam <laughs> Sin stars Betty Davis as a Chinese supervillain who lives on a Scottish island intended as a distaff Dr. No slash Fu Manchu, but she's more like a lady version of the master from Doctor Who years before Missy, even using props from 70s Doctor Who. Wow. Said, Instead of yellow face, she wears a turban and blue eyeshadow. <laughs> Robert Wagner plays her nemesis, a CIA agent, and Denholm Elliott 
<laughs> Marcus from Indiana Jones plays the sadistic butler of Madame oh, Sin. Wow. It's filled with British character actors, e.g. Gordon Jackson from Upstairs mm. Downstairs and Roy Kinnear <laughs> from the Richard Lester Three Musketeers films and mm. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'll try not to smell much, but it is insane. Uh, when George told us about this, I indeed looked it up. It does fit uh, our, our rules. And yeah, we're totally going to do that. That yeah. sounds awesome. Let's see what we got here. Uh, let's see. Oh. Uh, uh, here's someone about Max Hedrum. Actually, a couple of things. I enjoyed both your podcast. I was wondering how you feel about mid-season replacement like Max Hedrum. It never did get a full first season, and the second season was canceled partway into its run. Would you consider it at all for an episode of Canceled Too Soon? That yeah. one's a little tricky, but you know technically... It, it was renewed. So yeah, it had a shot. So, you know, even though it had fewer episodes than maybe shows that ran one season, it still counts as a two-season show. So yeah. sadly, Max Hedrum is out. I would as love to talk as, about Max Hedrum. As much as I'd love really to talk cool, about but, Max Hedrum. Yeah. 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 I grew up a science fiction nerd, and this and Prisoners of Gravity, which I never heard of, uh, were the coolest shows on Canadian TV in the late 80s. I wonder if Prisoners of Gravity qualifies. I'll have to check. Uh, I'm resending this email from September, so oh. sorry about that. <laughs> what have we got? I got a couple more. Uh Anything? We're good. No, I think we're good for now. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call it a break for now. Um, so we have a whole lot of great stuff coming for you guys in mm. 2017. Uh, you can follow us along at Twitter at CancelCast. You can follow our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash Cancel Too Soon. Um, and please subscribe on iTunes, whatever you can, and leave us reviews. The reviews really really help. Um, but coming up next. Next week, we're going to do a failed pilot directed by the great Joe Dante of Gremlins fame, <laughs> a friend of the B-Movies podcast, mm. uh, and written by Caleb Carr, the award-winning author of The Alienist. And it is a sci-fi story called Warlord Battle for the Galaxy, a.k.a. The Osiris Chronicles. Can't wait. But that's, great. that's nothing. In two weeks, <laughs> we have a show... That we can't believe actually exists. I sent you, yeah, you the trailer for this show, mm-hmm. and we were just like, this is why we created Cancel Too Soon. Uh, well, is to find, no, not, not shows like this, this, this show, show, this particular show. <laughs> we are going to be reviewing. Please say the name and please relish in the full title of this show. The 100 Lives of Black Jack Savage. <laughs> the 100 Lives of Black Jack Yay! Savage is a Disney series that lasted seven episodes. I think it actually aired on NBC or ABC. Uh, we have, I don't have all my research in the front of right now. The 100 Lives of Jack Black Savage is going to It's about a Wall Street con artist who gets a castle in the Caribbean haunted by the ghost of a black pirate from the 17th century who has to save 100 lives or he'll go to hell. So he teams up with the Wall Street con artist to solve mysteries using their super boat. <laughs> okay, first of all, Yay! I, I don't know how they got into the dream I had when I was nine, <laughs> but they did, and they made a series of it. So that's a... That's in two weeks. Oh so God, please come wait. please come back wait in two to weeks. Share this with you. We're gonna post the trailer or mm. something for the 100 Lives of Black Jack Savage on our Facebook page mm. and Twitter page uh real soon. Uh so you can see it, or you can just YouTube that that yourself. Mm. My God. <laughs> Bless whoever made the 100 Lives of Black Jack Savage. We cannot wait to tell you about it. Um so that's it for the canceled uh too soon. Uh thank you very much for listening. We have a lot of cool stuff for, coming for you uh, uh later in the year. Uh, That's a wrap, folks. We will see you next season.